Well, as we continue in our study in the book of Romans, we continue in chapter 5, where the first 11 verses, where Paul has started to lift off, list off some of these amazing benefits of our salvation. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, and O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's an incredible benefit package that comes with being a true follower of Christ. Chapter 5 is an amazing passage that details the so what. So what are the benefits that come with pledging our lives, our allegiance, our faith, our future, our hope in Christ? Romans 5, 1 through 11 gives us so many. Peace with God, access to God, strength and grace and rejoicing and hope and rejoicing and suffering and endurance and patience and proven character and more hope and love and the Holy Spirit and more love and being saved, being kept from wrath, joy and reconciliation. These are just some of the key words that describe the benefit package of faith described here in Romans chapter 5. So open your Bibles with me to Romans 5 and follow along as I read this amazing passage and listen, listen for those words. Listen to God's truth. The scripture says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For we'll scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, been, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Father, we come to you now with a simple prayer that your word that we just read, inspired by your Holy Spirit, inerrantly given to us, that it would come alive in our hearts and in our minds and challenge us today and change us today to the image and the glory of Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have. Since we've been justified by faith, past tense. We have present tense. 
our justification, our salvation is giving us right now in our real everyday lives immediate benefits. Paul is saying in light of the truth of our justification, here are some of the present realities that our salvation brings. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first three of these benefits. The first was peace with God. We need peace with God. Then that must mean that before we were justified by grace through faith, we were in conflict with God. We were in opposition to God. And if you look at our passage today, it describes us exactly that way. In verse 6, it says we are weak and ungodly. In verse 8, it says we're sinners. In verse 10, it says that we're enemies. Before our reconciliation with God, we're weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. Whether we see it or acknowledge it, the reality is that our weakness, our ungodliness, our sinfulness, our opposition has separated us from God. What we need is peace with God. What we need is a reconciled relationship with God. The first great benefit of having been justified by faith is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we can have peace with God. It is only through Jesus that the status of our opposition to God can be changed from enemy to friend, from foe to family, from standing under the wrath of God to standing in the grace of God. Beloved, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have it. It is ours, a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus, who is our peace. The next benefit we saw is that since we've been justified by faith, we have access. Verse 2 says, through him we have also obtained access. The word access carries the idea of introduction. It has a formality to it. It's like a person being brought before a king to be introduced to a king. We have access to God. Jesus has figuratively taken our hand, has led us into the throne room of his father, the king, and introduces us to the king. It's a marvelous benefit, the continual access to God through Jesus Christ. And we don't just have access into this grace. It says that we stand in the grace. See, in Christ, we're ushered into the royal throne room, and there we stand. There we remain. Wherever we go in the world, we are always standing firm in the heavenly throne room of God. We have peace with God. We have continual access to God. We stand forever secure, welcomed in his grace. And that next benefit is hope. Hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have hope. Since we've been justified by faith, real, substantive, enduring hope. Now, Christian hope is not like ordinary hope. It's not everyday kind of hope. For years and years and years, I would say, I hope the Cubs win the World Series. And for over a hundred years, that was a frugal hope. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what this hope means. 
Christian hope is a joyful and confident expectation which rests on the promises of God. Biblical hope is not the prospect of what might happen, but the prospect of what is already guaranteed. Whereas earthly hope implies doubt, biblical hope implies certainty. Hope is expectation. Hope is anticipation. Our hope is real. Why? Because our hope rests on God, on his word, on his character. The object of our hope, the anticipation, the expectations of our hope is the glory of God. Our hope's not about us. Our hope is in Christ and his glory and his kingdom and his purpose. We'll see hope again later as we go through our sermon today. Well, now we come to our next benefit. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Because we have been justified by faith, we have rejoicing in suffering. That's exactly what the Bible just said. Did you hear it? Did you see it? We can rejoice in our suffering. Suffering has meaning. Tribulation and trials and troubles and afflictions have purpose. First, in our sufferings, there is a purpose to embrace. Suffering here first points to the suffering that we experience because of our profession of faith in Christ. Because we are Christians, we suffer. But it also points to the suffering that we just experience in life that challenge us and that stretch our faith and our relationship with Christ. One of the great benefits for all true followers of Christ is that in our suffering, in our life challenges, they are not random. They're not indiscriminate difficulties. No, our sufferings have purpose and meaning, even though often we can't understand it all. Now look at how verse 3 begins. This exact phrase happens again in verse 11. So after detailing such great benefits, right, peace with God and access to God and standing in grace and rejoicing in hope, Paul says, not only that. Paul says, oh, oh, wait, there's even more than that. You know, but but not only that, believer, that's not all. In addition to rejoicing and hope, in addition to all these benefits, I said, we are even able to rejoice in our sufferings. It's a startling message. It's an astonishing truth, especially in our day and age. Remember this word, rejoice, isn't the typical word for rejoice. The root word here for rejoice is, has many different facets to it. It can be translated as boast. We boast in our afflictions. It can be translated as exalt. We exalt in our troubles. It's even translated as glory. We glory in our tribulations. And we rejoice in our sufferings. This word rejoice carries with it the, the idea of the full expression of two, two simultaneous thoughts of both confidence and joy all mixed together. As Christians, we can say, we confidently rejoice in our sufferings. 
We joyfully boast in our afflictions. We delight to glory in our troubles. We brag in the purpose of our tribulations. It's so important. Because you see, God is not just the God of the good stuff. He's the God of the bad stuff. God is not just the sovereign Lord of our lives, full of blessings that overflow. He's also the sovereign Lord of our lives. When our lives are full of trials and difficulties and hardships. See, there's a false gospel being preached this day. Preached loudly. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel, which by necessity means it's no gospel at all. It's not true. The false gospel is being preached throughout our mainstream Christian media culture. The so-called prosperity gospel teaches that financial blessings and and physical well-being are always the will of God. And that faith and positive speech and donations to their ministries will increase one's material wealth and health and security. False prosperity theology views the Bible like a contract, a contract between God and humans. If, as humans, we have the right faith in God, if we jump through the right hoops, then God must deliver to us security and prosperity. It teaches that if you keep your side of the contract, then God is obligated to give you financial blessings. God's like a vending machine. If you pull the right levers, if you plant the right seed money, then God is required to drop upon you health and wealth, financial stability. And if you don't get the blessing, if when you pull all the levers, it doesn't get what you want, you know whose fault that is? It's your fault. Because you didn't plant enough seed money. Because you didn't have the right faith. One wrote, The doctrine emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment, proposing that it is God's will for his people to be blessed financially. The atonement is interpreted to include the alleviation of sickness and poverty, which are viewed as curses to be broken by faith. This is believed to be achieved through donations of money, visualization, and positive confession. There's no talk of humility. There's no talk of service and sacrifice, sin. There's no talk of character and righteousness and endurance. There's a lot of talk about money. There's a lot of talk about the things, the stuff of this world. This false gospel has grown stronger since the 60s and is often, sadly, the main Christian presence on television. Names, Oral Roberts, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Paula White, Mike Murdoch, 
show after show after show, even a whole TV network, the steady, false message of the prosperity gospel permeating our culture, permeating our Christian church. The prosperity gospel is a lie. And the lie is that suffering and sickness and poverty and sacrifice need to be cured. And you can cure them. You can eliminate all that out of your life if you jump through the right hoops. God wants your best life now. It's all about now. And the best life is defined as being healthy, wealthy, happy, and secure. They essentially teach that what God wants to do is to indulge your selfishness. He wants you to focus on what you want. He wants to unrelease the riches of heaven on you. If you but keep your part of the bargain, you can force God to bless you if you jump through the right hoops. Oh, don't be focused on Christ and becoming more like him. Be focused on yourself. So you can get from God what you want. They teach that the great sin of our lives isn't selfishness. It's not being more self-centered. And oh, how they tap into the greed in our hearts. Right? Oh, how they prosper and multiply. Oh, how they manipulate the desire within our American culture for a life of ease and wealth and health and prosperity. Oh, how we as humans are so drawn in to such a message. I know how this false teaching can capture the fancy of mankind and lead us from the one and only true gospel. Now, here's one of the saddest realities of it all. This Americanized false gospel is being exported throughout the world. Right now, the false prosperity gospel is devastating the true work of Christ, his true church in South America and in Africa. Millions are being led astray to take their eyes off of Christ and to put it on themselves. I recently read this news account from February 3rd of this year. The headline read, 20 trampled to death during church stampede for anointed oil in Tanzania. Let me say that again, okay? 20 trampled to death during church stampede for anointed oil in Tanzania. The article read, at least 20 were killed and as many as 16 others were injured when a frenzy for sacred oil broke out at a Pentecostal outdoor worship service in northern Tanzania over the weekend. The pastor of the service has been arrested, according to officials. Thousands were said to have gathered for a worship service at a sports stadium in the northern town of Moshi, which is located near Mount Kilimanjaro. The service was led by popular pastor Boniface Wamposa, who leads Rise and Shine Ministry in Tanzania. According to Reuters, Wamposa had been drawing huge crowds to his event as he promises prosperity and cures for diseases for those who step in what he labels blessed oil. Did you hear that? 
Huge crowds. He promises prosperity and cures for the Jesus for those who step in his blessed oil. The stampede occurred when the worshipers were rushing to get into the blessed oil. A government spokesman told the Associated Press that attendees were being ushered to an exit so they could walk on the anointed oil. Home affairs missionaries told AP that attenders were instructed to rush to one side of the stadium at once to get anointed. One witness who was present at the service described the scene while, while speaking with reporters. He said that people were trampled on mercilessly. They were jostling each other with their elbows. The commissioner said that the death toll could grow. The incident took place at night and there were many people. So there is a possibility that more casualties could emerge. We're still assessing the situation. Ramposa, that false preacher, the article says, tried to flee following the incident, but was arrested in Tanzania's capital. Doesn't that break your heart? That's heartbreaking. That's tragic. That's wrong. And it's all done under the guise of Christ and Christianity. Now, we don't have those type of headlines in America, right? It's not that way in America. That's not us, right? Make no mistake, right? This is the exact same teaching that's permeating so many of these false teachers, driving the same shameful selfishness in our own country. This false teaching, this prosperity gospel, this focus that what God wants for you is your best life now, health, wealth, security are yours right now if you just fulfill your side of the bargain. This false gospel is an egregious heresy that's totally foreign to the Bible. It is not in there. What does our passage say today? Why did I just spend all this time doing that? What did I get that out of this? It says one of the benefits of having been justified by faith is that we rejoice in our sufferings. We don't deny them. We don't dismiss them. We don't pretend that they don't exist. We don't rejoice in spite of our sufferings. But we come to rejoice in our sufferings because we realize there's a purpose. There's a divine purpose in suffering. And the Bible is crystal clear about this. What does James say in James 1-2? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What does 1 Peter say in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Jesus said in John 16.33, I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace, but in this world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I've overcome the world. 
He said in John 15, 18 through 20, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. What's Jesus saying here? The same things that happened to me, the master, the leader, are the same things that are going to happen to you, the leader, the servant, the follower. What does Paul say in Romans 8.18? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul tells his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. Blessed are you when others persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely, on my account, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Psalm 119, 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. A couple stories from Acts, Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. And when they had called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Acts 16, 22 through 25. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them and threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It could go on and on and on and on with more scripture after more scripture after more scripture. The point is clear. One of the great benefits of being a true follower of Christ is that we can rejoice in our suffering because God has purpose, meaning, value in our suffering. How can that be true for us? How can we rejoice in our suffering? Well, first, we have to see that. We have to embrace the reality that there is a purpose in it all. Secondly, in our suffering, there's a principle to learn. If you look there at verse 3, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing. We rejoice in our suffering knowing. 
What's one of the fundamental things that helps us to rejoice in the midst of our suffering? It's to know. We rejoice in our suffering because we know. One of the great keys to living the Christian life is to know. To know God's ways, to know God's character, to know God's word. What do we know? We know God. We know the truth of his word. How does Paul teach it in Romans 12 too? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Colossians 3.10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Ephesians 4 says, put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. It can't be stressed enough how important it is to know, to have our minds renewed, to have our knowledge renewed, to know the truth. Well, perhaps you've seen this uh, Peanuts comic before. It's great. So, Lina, so, uh, so Lucy's up there next to Linus, right? Boy, look at the rain. What if the floods the whole world again? It'll never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy, oh, you've taken a great load off my Sound theology has a way of doing that. Isn't that great? Sound theology has a way of doing that. See, Linus is exactly right. Sound theology, knowing, renewing our mind in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his word has a way of giving us what we need to understand life to understand our God, to know what is true. So what does verse 3 said we're to know? We are to know that suffering produces. Suffering in the Christian life is productive. It is useful. It is helpful. It is constructive. It is beneficial. It is valuable. Suffering produces. Some of the most important moments of growth in my Christian life have come through tears and through brokenness, through failure, through hardship. How many testimonies have you heard about a person coming to put their faith in Christ because finally, through their trial, through the difficulty, they were able to see themselves and their challenge for who they really are They were able to see Christ for who he really is, and they ran to him for salvation. Each one of us can point to the challenges in our lives, the difficulties in our lives that God has used to produce within us what only he could do. The message of the Bible from cover to cover is that suffering and life challenges brings us to the end of ourselves so that we can finally take our eyes off of ourselves Take the thoughts off of ourselves and look to Christ. It's often only while we're in the crucible of suffering, while we're in the fires of trials, 
that we can finally grasp God, his character and his grace and his forgiveness and his truth, because it's often only there that we can finally see him. As we take our eyes off ourselves, we can thank God for our hardships, because our hardships bring us to Christ, to a deeper knowledge and to a deeper dependence upon him. But I need to make sure we're clear, crystal clear. To rejoice in our suffering is not the same thing as rejoicing for our sufferings. It's a big difference, right? Important. To rejoice in our sufferings, not the same thing as rejoicing for our suffering. No, no one says, hey, isn't this great? I just bought this new car. I was two blocks from the dealership. This guy ran a red light. It was so awesome, and he told him my car. Isn't that great? Isn't it great? You know, I went to the doctor today. I wasn't feeling very well, and he said, you have cancer, and lights went off, and it was really awesome. It was just the best. Isn't it great? You know, I lost my job. Or isn't it great? I'm getting laughed at at school for my faith. Isn't this awesome? No, that's not what we're talking about. That's not at all what the Bible is talking about. It's not what we're talking about. We don't rejoice for our sufferings. That is unreasonable. That doesn't make any sense. No, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice for what God is producing in us and through us because of the trial and the hardship that we're in. First, there's the purpose to embrace. Second, there's the principle to learn, to know. Now, thirdly, there's this pattern to follow. What's the pattern of the message? What's the pattern to follow that suffering leads us down? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, suffering, produces. One thing I think that is really awesome about the scriptures is that this type of pattern about suffering is taught in other places as well. Back in James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the biblical pattern is that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces steadfastness, patience, perseverance. That word endurance in Romans 3 literally means to remain under, to abide under. The pressure of the trial is on you. The weight of the suffering is on you. And you endure. Under the pressure, endurance is the ability to endure and remain under the difficulty without giving up, without giving in. The pressure, the endurance, the perseverance, what does it do? It refines us. It develops us. As coal endures the pressure, becoming a diamond, 
So the Christian endures the pressure of life challenges, comes forth stronger, purified, mature, beautiful, as gold is tested by the fires. Trials test the genuineness of our faith so that when our faith endures, it is more precious than gold because it is found to result into the praise and glory of Jesus. Then that endurance, that endurance within this produces something else. It produces character. This word character here is a word for tested or proven. It has the idea of being a veteran, not a novice. It has the idea of being experienced. Paul uses this word to describe Timothy in Philippians 2.22 saying, but you know his proven character, his proven worth. See, Timothy was tested. Timothy verified his worth for the ministry through his endurance, which resulted in proven, confirmed, established godly character. Oh, how our church needs men and women of proven godly character. How do we get there? By enduring through the sufferings and the challenges of life, resulting in tested, veteran, experienced, proven, godly character. What does tested character produce? Hope. Remember there, that biblical hope is that confident expectation in God, in God's word, in God's character, in God's promises. It's the anticipation, the surety that God is going to do exactly what he said. And what does it say? It says we hope. We hope. Earthly thinking says that suffering weakens hope. Biblical truth says that suffering while enduring with tested character actually increases our hope. It actually leads to even more certainty of hope. The goal is not about Jesus fixing our problems. The goal in our life is not about Jesus fixing our problems. The goal in our life is not about getting rid of our difficulties. The goal of our life is not about eliminating our suffering and the difficulties that we face. The true Christian's goal is to rejoice in our suffering, enduring under it, our tested character shining forth with a faith that is more precious than gold, with deep Biblical, abiding, confident hope in God to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. See, instead of wanting freedom from hardship, we want biblical endurance. Instead of wanting a shortcut out of our sufferings, we want tested godly character. Instead of wanting God to remove all of our trials, we want God to renew our minds with confident, expectant hope. Instead of being all concerned about our comfort and our joy in this earthly life, we want our lives to be all about his glory and his name, which brings us to our last point, our fourth point. In our suffering, we see a priority to pursue. What is so ugly, what is so unbecoming of this false prosperity gospel is the blatant priority of self and selfishness. 
this obsession with this world, with the things of this world, with the priorities of this world. Not so a biblical Christian. For you see, what makes biblical Christianity so beautiful, so becoming, is that the true gospel is all about Christ and his amazing unselfishness, about his love and his sacrifice, about his death and his resurrection, about his grace and his mercy and forgiveness offered to all. See, the focus is not on the temporary things of this world, but the eternal things of God and his truth. Our priority is not to have the best life now. Our priority is not to be content with this world around us. Our priority is God's glory. Our priority is God's word. Our priority is his kingdom. Our priority is the true gospel that God loved us so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins in his death, verifying it all is true through his resurrection, giving us new life and eternal life to all who call on him by grace through faith. Folks, I submit to you, that is the best life now. Our best life now is living for Christ right now and not ourselves. That is the best life. Suffering and hardship and tribulation and trials are tools in the hand of our God to actually give us the best life now a focus off of ourselves and selfishness, and a fixed gaze on the truth and on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe today we need to accept the amazing benefit that we have in Christ to rejoice in our suffering. Yes, beloved, we can actually rejoice. We can truly boast. We can rightly exalt in our sufferings because of God and because in God, Our suffering gives us a purpose to embrace, a principle to learn and to know, a pattern to follow, a priority to pursue. And we say, we sing, blessed be your name in the land that's plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. When I'm found in the desert place, Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, God, when the sun is shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of our Lord. Blessed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, now we thank you. We thank you for the clarity of your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, I've reached out of my comfort zone today to speak in a more boldly manner about this heresy that is surrounding us. Lord, teach us 
to see it and to reject it. Why? So that we can see and embrace the truth. So that we can see and embrace your son, reality, the beauty, the truth of Jesus. Today, Lord, help us. Help us to know your truth and to renew our minds, to go down that pattern of suffering, to make our priority your priority, Lord, to embrace the purpose you have in our life, in the good, in the bad, in the joy, in the suffering. Jesus Christ, all in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.